Hey listeners, apologies for the lack of podcast over the past few weeks. Basically, I got a concussion. I was in my kickboxing class and um, I in no way got punched in the face by a 15-year-old girl who's shorter than me. Anyway, uh, the concussion did mean that I had to really avoid bright screens as much as I could. So there were no extracurricular activities happening at all. I'm hoping now that it has healed to a place which means I can get back into my regular podcasting schedule. Anyway, apologies again. And here's the latest episode. I'm Mari Campbell-Jack, and you are listening to True Crime Fiction, feeding your addiction for the best of the written and the spoken word in crime. True crime memoirs are fascinating for much the same reason as true crime is fascinating because very few of those who consume it are likely to live a life where we are coming face to face with the worst of the world on a daily basis. It's something we can dip in and out of and put to a side when it becomes too much. Not so for Doyle Burke, who in Death as a Living details his time as a homicide detective in the Dayton, Ohio Police Department. If you are looking for the next great literary piece of true crime in the tradition of Capote, then this will not be the book for you. And that is exactly as it should be. True crime, while often tending towards the most shocking, spooky or gruesome, does not reflect life. Thankfully, an extreme of life many of us won't experience, but life nonetheless. Burke, who came across as a down-to-earth man of the people, makes this memoir all the stronger by retaining his authentic voice, which is the book's ultimate strength, rather than trying for literary kudos. For those who, like me, are writing crime fiction, this kind of authenticity and realism is priceless, and Burke's tales of the streets of Dayton are filled with pathos and humanity. There is at least one crime towards the end that I feel I need to warn readers about, given how shocking it is. But again, Burke's both feet on the ground professionalism means that he does not over-egg this pudding, as others may have been tempted to do. And his matter-of-fact reporting goes some way to alleviate what could be a highly traumatic read for many. This is not to say that other crimes covered in death as a living are not also tragic, There are many, and Burke's overview of decades of murder leaves one with a clear picture of the oftentimes random nature or sheer bad luck that brought many people to their ends. Burke also touches on community relations and Black Lives Matter, a movement he states he supports in his writing. I think some people may find his opinion of diversity training grating, especially given the current record of police in America. With no other context and assuming that Burke is giving us a true representation of what was said, it appears the training was giving advice that could well have the effect of increasing division, not creating more appreciation and understanding for differing lived experience. Coupled with the fact that Burke reports good relationships with the black community of Dayton, I'm reluctant to come to other conclusions 
unless evidence emerges to the contrary. This, however, does not mean that Burke's view is definitive and all that needs to be said on race and policing. He is, after all, writing his memoir, which by definition is a flawed version of events because they are only seen through the lens of one person who is emotionally involved in them. It can be highly useful to experience the point of view of others and, as Burke fits nicely into the hegemony, it's unlikely he is the right person to delve into all the subtleties and nuances of what policing and race means in the contemporary United States, backed as it is by a fraught and disturbing history. It is this that brings us to one of the questions at the heart of contemporary writing, and especially in memoir, how much responsibility does the writer have when it comes to these difficult topics? Not just race, but also religion, misogyny, disability and other identities which have often been handled without sensitivity or insight in the past and at worst have perpetuated harm and stirred up hatred. If writing reflects life, should it only reflect the good? If we refuse to address the negative, does that mean it goes unnoticed and therefore is strengthened? Is the writer responsible for how people may interpret or misinterpret her work? How high is the pedestal we put writers and this art form on? And should there be a pedestal to begin with? Art moves and ebbs and flows much like life does. So these questions need a lot more space and time to be explored than this podcast is able to give it in one episode. But they are questions that are important for both writers, readers and the wider publishing industry to interrogate and navigate together. Burke, however, is not a writer. Well, not until very recently. He has not lived the writer's life, spent the time developing craft and wrestling with the contemporary questions around the what, who and how of narrative and its place in wider culture. He has, however, lived an extraordinary life, one which I know I would not have the mental or emotional strength to dare to undertake, which is why I remain comfortably writing about it instead. In a culture which currently idolises the superhero and all their impossibilities, seeing the extraordinary in the ordinary, the limited, the flawed, the ever so basically human, feels possibly like a quiet act of defiance. You have been listening to True Crime Fiction, the podcast that is feeding your addiction to all things crime. You can find our website at true-crime-fiction.com, on Twitter at true underscore crime underscore fic, on Facebook and Instagram as True Crime Fiction. Please rate and review on the podcast app of your choice. Music is by Kitty Kitty Meow Meow.